For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Good morning, everyone. I want to speak today about a teaching from Hongzhi Zhongzhui, who uh, lived in 1091 to 1157. Uh, Hongzhi was the most important Soto teacher or Saolong in Chinese in China in the century before Dogen, who's the founder of uh, our branch of Buddhism, now called Soto Zen. And um, yeah, so um, Hongzhi was a very important teacher and is a very important influence on Dogen, quoted often by Dogen. And I'm going to talk today about a teaching from this book, Cultivating the Empty Field, that I translated a good while ago, um, which is excerpts from Hongzhi's extensive record. So I'm talking about something from the um, uh, 12th century in China, but I think it's very relevant to our practice in our world today. Um, so uh, these are from the, uh, we, we, I called them practice instructions, but literally hogo or dharma words from Dogen's, uh, from Hongzhi's extensive record. And um, I'm going to read, I'm going to, comment on one of one of these or 57 of them i'm going to comment on one of them so david ray would you please screen share and post this this text and i'll read it through once and then uh comment on it line by line our house is a single field clean vast and lustrous clearly self-illuminated when the spirit is vacant without conditions, when awareness is serene, without cogitation, then Buddhas and ancestors appear and disappear, transforming the world. Amid living beings is the original place of nirvana. How amazing it is that all people have this, but cannot polish it into bright clarity. In darkness unawakened they make foolishness cover their wisdom and overflow. One remembrance of illumination can break through and leap out of the dust of kalpas. Radiant and clear white, the single field cannot be diverted or altered in the three times. The four elements cannot modify it. Solitary glory is deeply preserved, enduring throughout ancient and present times as the merging of sameness and difference becomes the entire creation's mother. This realm manifests the energy of the many thousands of beings, all appearances merely this field's shadows, truly enact this reality. So David, you can take down the screen share for now. Uh, I'm gonna go through it again, line by line. Uh, and uh, I believe we'll have time for discussion or comments or questions after. Um, 
So he starts in this in this uh, practice instruction by saying, "Our house is a single field, clean, vast, and lustrous, clearly self-illuminated." So our house, you know, can refer to um, well, just our body and mind are each Zoom room that I can see, and all the people in the in the uh, room at Lincoln Square. Uh, also, house our house is a reference to our particular teaching tradition. So, particular lineage. In this case, Cao Dong in Chinese or Soto Zen. And uh, so he says it's a single field, clean, vast, and lustrous, clearly self-illuminated. This is a reference to the very first practice instruction in cultivating the empty field. This is uh, one of the volumes of these practice instructions, or one of the volumes of uh, Hongshu's extensive record. But in the very first one, he starts, the field of boundless emptiness is what exists from the very beginning. You must purify, cure, grind down, grind down, or brush away all the tendencies you have fabricated into apparent habits. Then you can reside in the clear circle of brightness. So he's this field of boundless emptiness is the starting point in some ways. This is talking about our life, our world, that uh, this isn't how we usually see it. But uh, conventionally, but this is the reality of our lives. Our house is a single field, clean, vast, and lustrous, clearly self-illuminated. So, uh, this he's describing the reality as he sees it, and. Um, Hongzhou's vision is is brilliant and one of the great uh, masters in the whole Zen tradition. He says, when the spirit is vacant without conditions, when our spirit, our our life, our mind, our awareness, all everything that we are aware of is vacant without conditions, when awareness is serene without cogitation, then Buddhism and ancestors appear and disappear, transforming the world. So he's uh, invoking the Buddhas and ancestors, all the Buddhas going back before Shakyamuni, Buddha, the historical Buddha, 2,500 years ago, and all the lineage of ancestors and all the other, all the variety of ancestors. So he talks about ancestors a lot, and we can come back to that, but it's not just the the particular lineage of one uh, Zen uh, tradition, but all of our ancestors uh, and all of our cultural ancestors. But he starts when the spirit is vacant, without conditions. So uh, he's talking about what is sometimes called emptiness in Buddhism. When the spirit is vacant, when we are... uh, not clinging to any aspect of our life or the world or our mind or heart, uh, when it, when we just let go of all that, when the spirit is vacant, without conditions. So in traditional Buddhism, they talk about conditioned and unconditioned uh, realities or aspects of our life. 
when the spirit is vacant without conditions, when we let go of all our habits, when we let go of all all the karmic tendencies we have fabricated, as he says. Um, when awareness is serene, without cogitation. So our zazen practice is about serenity, without all the all the cogitation, all the deliberations, all the uh, discursive thinking. Of course, this is our reality too. Our mind, our monkey mind, is always, you know, uh, more or less active. But our practice, the sitting practice that we've been doing, is um, about serenity. So, uh, um, the subtitle of the this uh, cultivating the empty field book is the silent illumination of Zen Master Hongzhou. That could be read as serene illumination as well. This is a teaching that. Hongzhe mentions a number of times as a poem to Serene Illumination. Uh, and uh, this is controversial in Zen history and in Zen uh, commentary and philosophy. But this is the basic uh, practice of our tradition. Um, other lineages uh, attacked it, actually, as being uh, quietistic, as being you know, uh, self-complacent, <laughs> um, self-satisfied. And, our, pra- you know, our practice, when we do um, extensive practice um, and and do this zazen for a while over some time and sustain it, uh, we can settle into this field of serene illumination. And it's um, it's enjoyable. It's blissful. It's the Dharma gate of peace and joy, as Dogen later says. And if we just stop there, that's not our tradition. That's not our practice. So uh, Dogen says in this sentence, um, uh, when the spirit is vacant and so forth, then Buddhas and ancestors appear and disappear, transforming the world. So our practice is not just about settling into calmness and uh, and and peacefulness and serenity, but our practice is also about um, transforming the world. And of course, we know the world is difficult and troubled and needs transformation, and that's what this teaching and practice is about. So then... Uh, um, is this wonderful sentence, amid living beings is the original place of nirvana. One of the more important sentences in this uh, practice instruction, not the most important, but amid living beings is the original place of nirvana. In some ways, this is just a basic bodhisattva Mahayana teaching. Nirvana, ultimate peace, literally cessation. So in early Buddhism, the idea of nirvana was to get free of birth and death, get free of all the suffering and all the rounds of suffering. But this radical idea came up in as the uh, Mahayana Buddhism developed, and Zen is a branch of that, uh, that um, amid living beings is the original place of nirvana. It's the original place of liberation, the original place of ultimate peace is not about escaping from 
all of the suffering and all of the confusion of, of all the living beings. <laughs> um, it's, uh, uh, it's it's easy to, to feel that. It's easy to feel that if one goes into, up to some mountaintop and sits for a long time and and develops peace and serenity, that that's the point. And I want to welcome Ruben back from uh, pra- intensive practice at Green Gulch. It's good to see you, Ruben. Um, so, but actually, the original place of nirvana, which what Hongsha says here, is amid living beings. It's not. It's not spiritual bypass. It's not escaping from. this world and all its troubles. But we come back to this world, the original place, the fundamental place of nirvana is right in the middle of samsara, the round of suffering. The uh, What he call, calls in this uh, section, the amazing living beings. So an important sentence, amid living beings is the original place of nirvana. Then he says, how amazing it is that all people have this, but cannot polish it into bright bright clarity. In darkness, unawakened, they make foolishness, cover their wisdom and overflow. One remembrance of illumination can break through and leap out of the dust of Kalpas, all of the attachments of many ages. Kalpas are long, long periods of time. So, um, how amazing it is that all people have this but cannot polish it into bright clarity. This is a reference to another write, another writing by Hongzhi called the Book of Serenity, which is one of our Mang Koan collections. Um, and uh, Hongzhi wrote the uh, pick. The, there's a hundred cases in there, patterned after the earlier Blue Cliff Record Koan collection. Uh, but he's referring specifically, uh, and he, Hongsha picked the cases and the verse and wrote the verse comments about these hundred cases. And then a later great Saodong uh, or Soto teacher, Wansong in China, wrote extensive commentary introducing these cases and commenting on the case in the verse. But the basic case that Hongsha is, is referring to here, the way he, um, Framed it in Thomas Cleary's translation. The Flower Ornament Sutra says, I now see all sentient beings everywhere fully possess the wisdom and virtues of the awakened ones. But because false, because of false conceptions and attachments, they don't realize it. So that's the basic case, case number 67 in the Book of Serenity, also uh, from Hongzhi. Um, so, uh, the Flower Ornament Sutra is, uh, the, one of the great Mahayana Sutras that, um, Hongsha and Dogen refer to as one of the basic sutras or scriptures of our lineage and tradition. And he's quoting, um, for those of you who've been following, uh, it's page 530. 534 of the Flower Ornament Sutra in the Ten Dedications chapter. But, uh, and we're, we do a, uh, here at Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, we do a, a monthly 
reading of the Flower Ornament Sutra. It's going to be this coming Friday evening. It's the first Friday of every month, seven o'clock. Everyone's welcome to join in. You can join in the reading if you have the text or have, and you, we can give you the text file. Uh, but also it's, um, you're welcome to just come and, and listen and bathe in the great Samadhi teachings of the, the very colorful and psychedelic flower ornament sutra. Anyway, in um, this paragraph from Cultivating the Empty Field, Hongzhi is referring back to one of the cases in that uh, book of serenity that he originated, and refer, which refers back to the flower ornament sutra's wisdom. So this is this is an imp- very important part of this, and this uh, quote from the Flower Ornament Sutra is supposedly what Shakyamuni Buddha uttered or saw upon his first awakening. He said, I now see that all sentient beings everywhere, all beings everywhere, fully possess the wisdom and virtues of the awakened ones. It's quite a radical statement. All of the beings in our confused world, fundamentally, originally, uh, are endowed with this wisdom and the virtue of all the Buddhas, all the awakened ones. Then he says, but then the sutra says, but because of false conceptions and attachments, they do not realize it. So we all have these false conceptions and attachments. It's part of how it is that we are human beings. But fundamentally, basically, originally, Underneath that, or above that, or all around that, um, all beings fully possess the wisdom and virtues of the Buddhas. This, uh, so this is kind of where our our uh, Zen practice starts. All of you, fundamentally, are Buddhas, and most of you don't believe that. <laughs> Because we all have these these uh, false conceptions and attachments, and and uh, this is this is the other this is part of the reality of being essential being being a human being. But to understand to hear that fundamentally from the beginning, we are all awakened is is basic to our practice. So our practice is not to develop through lots of periods of zazen or through lots of study or through hearing lots of dharma talks so that eventually <laughs> you will become awakened that's just not what we're about uh it's not somewhere else awakening is not something somewhere else on some mountaintop in in uh the himalayas or japan or california right here in the middle of the nitty gritty of all the troubled, suffering beings is the place of nirvana. So um, I'm going to read a little bit more from Wansong's commentary to that case of the Book of Serenity. Um, He says, this is the opening up the source of the nature of beings. And then he quotes another chapter, a chapter on the on the manifestation of Tathagatas in the Flower Ornament Sutra, it says, O children of Buddha, there is not a single sentient being 
uh, who does not fully possess the wisdom of the awakened ones. It is only because of false conceptions, error, and attachments. They do not realize it. So that's what's quoted in the basic case. Um, if they give up false conceptions, this omniscience spontaneously, uh, this, this omniscience and spontaneous knowledge and unhindered wisdom can manifest. So this is a, a kind of instruction and reassurance to us. I want to quote some more of Wang Song's commentary. Um, again, he's re- he's quoting the, the flower ornament of a Tamsaka in Chinese Huayan and Japanese Keigo and Sutra that says, then the Buddha observed all the beings of the cosmos with his pure, unobstructed eye of wisdom. So this is right after his awakening, supposedly, uh, according to this tradition. And he, he, he observed all the troubled beings, all of the deluded beings, and all the awakened beings. And he said, how wonderful, how wonderful, how is it that these beings all have the wisdom of the awakened ones, the right path to make them abandon, uh, uh, wait, I'm sorry, how, how they all have the wisdom of the awakened ones, yet in their folly and delusion, in our folly and delusion, they do not know or see it. I should teach them the right path to make them abandon illusion and attachment forever so that they can perceive the vast wisdom of the awakened ones within their own bodies and be no different from the Buddhas. So this is what the Buddha said when he saw that there were suffering beings out there who didn't realize that they had the wisdom and virtue of the awakened ones. So this is our practice. This was Buddha's practice to try and help everyone see this. Um, anymore, there's anyway. There's more in that case that is uh, wonderful. Um, but I want to go back to this this passage from Hongzhou. So after saying, so he says, how amazing it is that all people have this, but cannot polish it into bright clarity. In darkness unawakened, they make foolishness cover their wisdom and overflow. One remembrance of illumination can break through and leap out of the dust of kalpas. So just to have a moment of settling into this serene illumination, we can break out of all of the foolishness, all of the dust of kalpas, all of our confusion. And, you know, when one does see this and sees, feels the serenity of this illumination, uh, that's not necessarily that, you know, that's not necessarily the end of practice because we keep on living. So we keep on seeing the living beings and their troubles. And we need to uh, continue to uh, help polish this awakening, to put it that way, so that we can help beings. I'm, so continuing in this passage from Cultivating the Empty Field, Hongxia says, Radiant and clear white, the single field cannot be diverted or altered in the three times. The four elements cannot modify it. So this uh, radiant, clear, empty, illuminated, serene field of awareness and of all beings um, 
Hongzhi says, cannot be diverted or altered in the three times, uh, past, future, and present, or in the four elements. Um, the four elements cannot modify it. Four elements, uh, a, a traditional Chinese teaching, earth, fire, uh, wind, and water. Anyway, they don't, they can't modify it. This this um, bright field is here. And even if we don't um, see it or believe it right now, doing this practice of settling into serene illumination over some time, it unfolds. So he goes on to say, solitary glory is deeply preserved, enduring throughout ancient and present times as the merging of sameness and difference becomes the entire creation's mother. This is another amazing sentence. Solitary glory. So, you know, we have to see this on our own. I cannot tell any of you how to be Buddha. (laughs) Each of us has this wisdom, this field. So each of us has to settle into this possibility and unfold it for ourselves. This is our zazen practice. It's glorious. It's solitary, but it's solitary that it's a solitariness that includes everything. Emptiness is about interdependence. We are all deeply interconnected with every being in in the whole world and in other world systems and so on. Um, so, solitary glory is deeply preserved, enduring throughout ancient and present times. It, as the merging of sameness and difference becomes the entire creation's mother. So Hongzhi is here referring to a, one of the basic texts of our Sotas and tradition, or Tsaodong in Chinese, and that's from Shuto Shichan, or Sekito in Japanese. And we will be chanting it later um, in, in this morning. This is one of our basic chants, the merging of sameness and difference, Sandokai in Japanese. So uh, it's in our chant book, and we chant it. Uh, it's one of the regular chants that we do. And that is uh, about the merging, um, is how, how I translated this in this case, but maybe more accurate to say the harmonizing of difference and sameness. So uh, these are two fundamental aspects of reality, sameness and difference. Sameness is like emptiness. We are all one. We are all the same. Uh, Dogen, when he came back from China, was asked what he learned, and he said, eyes horizontal, nose vertical. (laughs) So this is uh, everybody I can see here on Zoom and everybody in in the room, I'm sure, has that. Eyes horizontal, nose vertical. There is this sameness. There is this basic completeness to all of us. And again, I, I translated it in this in this uh, section of Hongshou as the merging of sameness and difference. Uh, it's not that they become well. Th- this is a I, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Non-duality is about. It's not about non-duality as opposed to duality. It's not about sameness as opposed to difference. It's the non-duality of duality and non-duality. It's how the the interaction, the harmonizing um, of these 
these two aspects of our reality. We're all the same, we're all one. And there's difference. There's differences. There's um, Chicagoans and uh, I see Nathan from Michigan. There's people from different places. Uh, and Mark is, is in New Mexico. And um, anyway, um, and Dylan is on a, is, has joined us. He's on a train back from practicing at, at uh, intensively at Green Gulch. I don't know if you can hear me, Dylan. But uh, anyway, um, so there's the sameness, and there's also differences. There's, uh, to put it another way, there's the universal and there's the particular. Uh, in the harmony of difference and sameness that we'll chant later, uh, Shito says, merging with sameness is still not enlightenment. So reaching oneness is not the goal. It's, it, is the, it is the goal in many spiritual traditions, Buddhist and otherwise. But just uh, finding sameness, realizing sameness, realizing how we are all one is not the point. That's not enlightenment. That's not awakening. It's the uh, harmonizing, the non-dualizing, non-duality. I want to make non-duality a verb. The the uh, non-dual non-dualizing. I don't know how to say that, <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's seeing through our te- our strong tendency. It's in, in our language, subject verb object. We think of ourselves as subject verbing objects out there. Or maybe we think of ourselves as objects who might be verbed by subjects out there. But we're all constantly dancing in this harmonizing and this interaction of oneness and difference. So we know that only seeing differences is not the point. And we have plenty of examples in, in the world of deluded beings of people you know, emphasizing differences, saying those people out there, people of different races, of different nations, of different religions, they're not really human. They're not the they're not one, you know. So differences and embracing difference and uh intensifying and enforcing difference is a tool that's been used for uh, oppression for throughout the history of the world. Difference is not the point. That's where we start from, in a way. You know, as we as uh, we grow up from, you know, maybe infancy, everything as one and together. But as we grow up, as we learn to be uh, human beings, as we develop our ego, to, to use that word, we uh, m- make discriminations. We make distinctions. Us and them, subject and, and object, object. Uh, so this is the world of differences. And, you know, pe- politicians then turn that into hate. And, you know, we have to hate the others. <laughs> and they totally ignore the sameness of all of us. And not just of humans, but of all sentient beings. Of animals and plants and mountains and rivers, uh, we're all interactively involved, inter- intricately involved in this. So, um, so this is what Hongshu is referring to in this sentence. 
one of the more important sentences in this uh, this particular practice instruction. He says, uh, well, just to read the whole sentence, solitary glory is deeply preserved, enduring throughout ancient and present times as the emerging of, as the merging or harmonizing of sameness and difference becomes the entire creation's mother. Sometimes uh, Prashna Paramita, the goddess of uh, transcendent wisdom, is, is called the mother of all Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, and we could say of all beings. Here, Hongsha is saying that the harmonizing of sameness and difference, this chant that we're going to do later this morning, is the entire creation's mother. This is the fundamental, this is the, the basic philosophical background of Soto Zen, or you know, I could just say of Buddhism, that there's this uh, harmonizing, this interactivity of sameness and difference. Difference isn't it, obviously, just embracing differences. And sameness isn't it either. Merging with sameness is still not awakening, Shito says. So how do we see this dance of the interactivity of the universal, the ultimate oneness of all things, of all beings, and the distinctions? So the universal does not exist outside of particulars. All of us came to practice. Well, okay, I shouldn't speak for everyone, but um, my, myself and everyone here I've talked to uh, and talked with came to practice because of dissatisfaction with all the differences and being and, and with all the particulars and the suffering created by that in this world. So the universal arises, the ultimate arises, oneness arises out of um, dissatisfaction with only seeing differences. So, you know, this is supposed to be the, uh, according to the Flower Ornament Sutra, which we'll be reading again next Friday morning, next Friday evening, you're all welcome, uh, is... um, Um, this harmonizing of difference and sameness, seeing how the universal is expressed, maybe only expressed in the particulars. There's not some absolute ultimate realm up on some mountaintop, that, and it's not about getting rid of our confusion because of the particulars. Our practice isn't about that. So right after uh, Shakyamuni proclaimed this, he, you know, tried to see how to help awaken suffering beings, and he proclaimed the Four Noble Truths and all the many other teachings, teaching of emptiness, teaching of suchness, and so forth. Uh, but basically, here, Hongsha is saying, this is the entire creation, all of creation's mother. So we don't have uh, uh, the idea of a creator deity in Buddhism. Monotheism is based on and our Western religions are based on a creator deity who created all of this. And we think that he's watching over, he, well, usually it's a he, right? <laughs> uh, he is sitting up there in the, on the clouds in a, in, in a 
with a long white beard, longer than Ed's beard, uh, and all the other beards I can see. Uh, and uh, and he's got long white robes, and he knows everything, and he's watching each of us, and we each can petition him to help us in our own particular situation. Well, in Hongzhou's perspective, it's this harmonizing of difference and sameness that becomes the mother of the entire creation. So I, this word creation, I, some people uh, have trouble with that because of, uh, they, they think of it in terms of monotheistic ideas. I, I, I like the word creation, all of creation, everything that's created, that includes everything, everything, everything on this world, on this planet and other planets and so forth. So this, so Hongshu is saying this, this startling radical thing, I mean, this is really, he, he just says it and you can read it, but it, it's, you know, if you really consider what does it mean that the merging of harmon, the, the harmonizing of difference and sameness is the mother of all creation. That's quite a, a, a startling radical statement. So this is a very important sentence. It's not the most important sentence in this passage, but it's, um, again, solitary glory is deeply preserved, enduring throughout ancient and present times in the merging or harmonizing of sameness and difference, as the merging or harmonizing of sameness and difference becomes the entire creation's mother. Then, Hongzhu says, this realm manifests the energy of the many thousands of beings all appearances, merely this field's shadows. So this realm of harmonizing duality and and non-duality, sameness and difference, manifests the energy, the spirit, the creativity, of um, all the thousands of beings. He doesn't even say, he doesn't say human beings, just all the many thousands of beings. All appearances, merely this field shadow. So again, the appearances is where we see the distinctions. Each of you I can see, I can see, you know, how you are different from each other. Of course, all of you have Eyes horizontal, nose vertical, as Dogen said. Um, but this is this realm manifests the energy of the many thousands of beings. All appearances, merely this feels shadows. So all of the particulars, all of the differences, are the shadows of this realm of wholeness and and distinction of the universal and the particular, the universal or the ultimate and the phenomenal and how they interact. So then there's one more sentence, and this is the most important sentence in the whole passage, in the whole um, practice instruction. Hongzhu uh, says, finally, truly enact this reality. He doesn't say how to do that. He doesn't say that here. He, Other places he gives some hints, but there's not some instruction manual about how to do that. But truly, deeply, fully enact this reality. This is his 
practice instruction to each one of us. And so then our practice is about how do we do that? How do we express and enact and share this ultimate reality with all the suffering beings? That's the point of this. That's the most important sentence in the whole practice instruction. Truly enact this reality. In this life, in this particular life that each of us is um, engaged in right now, how do we enact this? And there's not one right way. There's not one uh, instruction manual about how to do that. Our whole life of practice is about that. Each of all of you that I can see are doing this. You are. In fact, we are doing this. But how do we do it? Truly, Hong just asking us, how, please, can you express and act this ultimate reality of the harmonizing of universal in particular, the harmonizing of sameness and difference. So, um, maybe that's enough for me to say this morning, but I'm uh, eager very much for each of, for any of you to uh, Ask questions, comments, reflections. Jan has a question. Apologies for my fright wig, but um, a couple of things really stood out. There were, in fact, I found this lesson by Tigan so exciting that I could feel it in my body. I mean, I was just really stimulated by this reading and the things Tigan said about it. Um, and so I have a couple of really trivial things to say because uh, the overall picture is just too uh, uh, universal or something for me to make a comment. But I've always wondered. Can, can I just say uh, that? Part of what this is saying is that there is nothing that is trivial. Each okay. particular tri- piece of <laughs> trivia is completely an expression of everything. So go ahead. I've often wondered what happens in the brain of a wild horse when it is tamed. And um, my son has a dog that is extremely obedient and follows him everywhere or goes with him everywhere the the dog is not a good follower it's a herding dog and doesn't like to follow so that's one way that it has not been able to change as far as i can see uh but it's very very obedient um when i took that dog walking in a neighborhood with roads i could leave it on one side of the road and say stay stay and it would stay until I said okay come on and then it would cross over to where I was I never had to worry about it being run over by a car or anything like that because so I wonder what goes on in the brain of an animal when it is domesticated and I wonder the same thing about horses because wild horses are tameable. 
But there are animals that nobody has ever tried to tame because it just doesn't work. And I don't, you know, I really don't have any idea what happens in their brains. But in my case, as a human being, I was very, very obedient from the beginning. And later on in my life, I became disobedient. (laughs) It's just, um, you know, I don't get that. And uh, so that, that I guess you could say, is a question. And the second thing I want to question that Tigan said, and I, uh, I'm afraid I kind of disagree, that he, uh, (laughs) maybe you won't like it. I, I disagree with the, with the thing of trying to help others because, um, because that was a problem of my obedience. I was always trying to help other people. And uh, I noticed with certain children, not children, but teenagers, that I was teaching, the ones who tried to help others the most uh, had constricted lives, whereas the ones who didn't try to help others were more free and were able much better to develop their own personalities. So, you know, I have a, a, and I have stories about people who tried to help others. Uh, One is a fiction story. It's uh, to, to, to be really short about it. He was very, very helpful. Everybody loved him. And (laughs) this is really terrible. He tried to find somebody that would kill him and nobody would kill him because he was so kind and valuable. (laughs) <laughs> but he was extremely depressed. So, um, th- and that was a fiction story. I don't know if it was true, but I, uh, but these are questions, these two questions about what happens in the brain of a wild person that is tamed and what happens to people who are taught way too early in life that you should be helping others all the time. You know, your life is to help others instead of just to develop yourself. And I believe that, um, that being a Buddhist and practicing as best you can is the best help you can give to others, but it's really not help. It's self-development. Stop. I'm done. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So those are two very different questions. And um, so first of all, about animals and, um, and domesticating animals and how animals perceive I did a talk that's on the website, um, I think a couple of weeks ago, talking about the perception of uh, of uh, different beings. And uh, so different, be- all, different beings have a sense world that's very different. Dogs uh, are aware of the world in terms of smell much more than, 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 uh, other senses. Um, if you walk a dog, you can tell they're they're, they're smelling what's who's who's been around wherever that is. Um, so uh, and uh, so I talk. I had, there's a there's a, a a dharma talk that's on the website. You can find it. Um, I can try and see. Well, I, I heard it. I, okay. I okay. So, so, but that's very, it's very important, and and this is something that Dogen talks about a lot in Genjo Koan, for example, that different beings have different uh, sense apparatus, 
So this is an important important for us as human beings to be aware of how limited our sense world is. Uh, and so anyway, that's so you can listen to that uh, to, to for a response to that question um, about you know and, and domesticating animals is a different uh, different aspect of the question. And uh, you may have heard in the background um, we have a puppy who's uh in the process of domestication but not <laughs> but is also uh sometimes uh yippy and you know jumpy and she's very sweet but she's um sometimes also unruly very different from your the dog you described Jen anyway um one of the animals in this house anyway um yeah so that's that's it's an interesting question it's worth a lot of consideration so check out that that uh article that uh, talk i gave a couple of weeks ago um about helping beings that's not exactly what hongzhi is saying here so this is a kind of problem and especially a problem for many buddhists so we have in our sangha many chaplains for example or school teachers or you know people who are actually helping beings but it's not that you know the people who are helping are you know better or wiser or whatever than than the beings they're so called helping token i mean hongzhi doesn't say uh you know you should you should uh help beings he says share this share this awareness and how to do that includes um expressing it in yourself for yourself so zazen is not about you know, to, uh, zazen is the practice. Our basic practice is about seeing our own confusion and delusion, and seeing through that, cutting through delusions, not 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 destroying delusions. It's not dis, it's not dis, it's not about destroying samsara. So Hongzhi says, uh, the original place of nirvana, of ultimate peace and liberation, is right amid struggling beings. So, uh, yeah, so. This is this is subtle, actually, and there are many people in our sangha, chaplains and and therapists and teachers who are who are, we might say, helping other beings. But if you think of yourself as up here helping all these, uh, you know, deluded beings down here, that's not it. Our practice is to see our own. See, see through our own delusion, not to get rid of delusions, not to get rid of our own delusions or others' delusions. So it's, uh, so this is a subtle thing. And I, thank you for bringing it up, Jen. It's not that, that bodhisattvas are, uh, you know, helping inferior beings. We're all bodhisattvas. We're all doing, everyone doing this practice, we're doing bodhisattva practice. And we help each other, we need to help each other and we need to be helped by each other and the people who are in helping professions to put it that way social workers hospice workers teachers therapists are also benefited by the people they're sharing this with so the, so what hongzhi is saying is please share this awareness please enact this reality but that doesn't mean that you are you know great helpers helping others so thank you for that question shan other people comments questions perspectives David Ray. And, uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, creation's mother and, and that term. I know you referenced uh, Prajnaparamita, but 
Uh, as you also know, I'm studying uh, the Tao Te Ching this week for a course, and I've been learning more about that goddess called the uh, the Western uh, the Western Queen Mother or the Western Ancestor Mother, and she's so amazing and powerful and ancient, and she's a tiger spirit, and she's she's a she's a uh, a demon and a wild woman and, and and an empress and and the goddess of birth and death and immortality so i i, I wonder if that's like part of the part of the cultural resonance that, that that's in in Hongzhou's expression there the creation's mother yeah there is the uh creation mother in Taoism, but i think that's not what he's saying hmm. he's not saying that there's this this great Mother goddess, you know, there are goddesses and gods in Buddhism, but many, but multiple, not one. Um, and the Flower Ornament Sutra has uh, a cha- chap- uh, you know, pages full of, na- of their names. But um, what, he, what Hongzhu is saying here is this process, this practice of harmonizing oneness and difference, sameness and difference, of harmonizing the universal in a particular. And this is a this is a basic philosophical background in Zen and in Soto Zen. We have the five degrees or sometimes called the five ranks, which is this process. There's a process that's described in this philosophical background of how the ultimate and the particulars interact and harmonize each other. So that's a kind of background philosophy of Soto Zen. But it's not that there's some being who's doing all this, or it's that being with all the other beings. It's it's the the process of harmonizing sameness and difference, oneness and universal in particular, that creates that that gives birth to that is the mother of all of creation, all of reality, all of the phenomenal world, according to this passage from from Hongshan. And of course, Taoism greatly influenced uh, Zen, particularly uh, Buddhism in China, along with Confucianism. Thank you. Other questions, comments, perspectives, uh, please feel free. Uh, people at Lincoln Square and on Zoom. There's a question, yes. Um, well, comment. Uh, you know, I. Uh, can you say your name, please? Because I can't see you. Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Hi. I, uh, I was just, you know, it's like I was introduced to Taoism before I was introduced to Buddhism. Can you hear me? Yes. And, uh, and this takes me back because Hanja was a, uh, one of the key people that we studied. Um, and I was thinking about the differences that I was introduced to, the differences between that practice and this practice, and that there was a focus on nature, on the natural, um, and the idea uh, that things are, um, you know, nature is a wonderful thing to look at in that animals, trees, plants, air, it all interacts in, in a natural way. It does what it needs to do to be, to survive. And that there is something about the lack of attention, the lack of intention. Um, 
allowing yourself to relax and be natural, that is part of harmonizing. And, and I was just thinking about sometimes I think we, we work so hard at understanding to do things intentionally that um, we sometimes miss the practice of be more natural. So I, I wondered if you, yeah, if you had any other comments about that. Yes, well, um, I'll try and restrict my comments because I could give a whole uh, series of Dahmer talks on that. But yeah, um, uh, so Zen Buddhism in particular uh Buddhism came from India to China, and there, and in all the in all the different um, cultures and countries that Buddhism cha- moves into, it adapts and transforms the native spiritual traditions. So, uh, in China, Taoism and Confucianism very much uh, our whole emphasis on ancestors. You know, we could say comes from Confucianism. Um, in Japan. Uh, what's sometimes called Shintoism and the sense of the nat- natural world as having spirits. And now in American Buddhism, of course, Western psychology, Western uh, social justice action, Western, uh, you know, Western religion, uh, all are influencing uh, and many other th- things are influencing what, what uh, is uh, emerging as American Buddhism. Uh, but Taoism in particular, um, yes, emphasizes nature and the natural and um, and also um, Taoist, uh, Taoism influenced Zen in terms of poetry, to the wonderful Taoist poetry. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's part of our practice and, and tradition and philosophy. Uh, I can I would say that the difference, well, one difference is that. Taoism emphasizes connection with nature as harmonizing with nature as one priority. And that's true of our Zen practice too. But it also, uh, one of the goals in Taoist uh, spiritual practice is uh, immortality, <laughs> literal, sometimes taken literally, uh, longevity and Taoist meditation practice, which is really wonderful and helpful. And I, there are, Taoist meditation practices that I uh, speak of to to, to uh, some people, uh, but the goal ostensibly is immortality, longevity. The goal of Buddhism and Zen Buddhism is liberation, universal liberation. So it's a little different. Um, we are practicing to share to enact this reality, <laughs> to share awakening in our lives amid living beings. So that's a, it's that those those are not totally different, but there's that's one area, that's one way in which Taoism and Buddhism aren't exactly the same. But Zen Buddhism particularly ben- has benefited so much from Taoist background. So thank you for that, Kathy. Uh, I don't know if that I could keep talking about we I could do a whole we could do a whole practice period on the relationship between Taoism and Buddhism, but I'll uh I'll I'll pass on that for now. Uh other comments, anyone? In- uh, 
Tygen. There's a there's a, a question in the chat from Dylan, and it says this question for Tygen. What is the role of the true body of faith when we engage this question of truly enacting this reality, the true body of faith? Yes, uh, thank you, Dylan, and and welcome. Uh, Dylan's on his way back from intensive practice at Green Gulch. I think you're on a train right now, Dylan, anyway. Um, yes, the true the true body of faith, is that the question? That was uh, the Yes. Yeah, so this is a reference to one of Dogen's teachings that we also uh, chant sometimes, which is wonderful. And yeah, this is uh, this practice is not some, in, you know, I think, anyway, some people think it's some intellectual, you know, theoretical teaching. No, and, or practice. No, no. It's about how do we find our trust in this process of um, the harmonizing of difference and sameness, to put it that way. The harmonizing of duality and non-duality as the ultimate non-duality. So this is the true, this is something that requires faith. And faith, you know, as a translator, faith is a difficult word in English, to, but I use it in some translations um, because uh, there's a um, the character for in Chinese for that's translated sometimes as faith uh, is shin in, in Japanese, and it's a person sta- and next to their a word, so it's a person st- standing by their word, it's uh, or by the word or by words, it's it's. Um, but I would say it's not faith in something else. So in Western uh, religion and philosophy, faith has to do often with belief in some deity, in some teaching, in some in what the Bible says, or so forth. Faith in Buddhist practice is the true body of faith is about showing up, taking your seat doing this practice regularly. So the true body of faith, you know, it, it, this, this practice does require faith in the sense of trust, trusting yourself, conviction, actually, you know, being willing to show up in your life, in your body, in your heart-mind, as confused as that might be it's at times. So the true body of faith is just here we are, and uh, we show up. And I see that Nicholas has his hand up. Nicholas, hi. Hi. Um, yeah, I was thinking about the the phrase enacting truly this reality as well. And I was wondering if, um, and then I kept thinking about the expression uh, that Zen is transmitted warm hand to warm hand. So I'm wondering if you could talk about a relationship between those two ideas, if there is one. Sure. Thank you. So we enact this reality by uh, hearing about this reality. And many people come to uh, practice. I see a few people here who I know this is the case of through reading about Zen, through reading great Zen books like Zen Flesh, like Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. I was going to say Zen Flesh, Zen Bones. I'll include that in Gary Snyder's Practice of the Wild, fundamental Zen books. 
Uh, so people, there are people who study the teachings and then show up and um, experience warm hands. So, you know, uh, the true body of faith, to go back to Dylan's comment, is about a warm hand to warm hand. It's about how do we welcome each other into Sangha, into community, into practice world? How do we uh, care for each other? Doesn't mean we don't sometimes have differences or have different opinions about things. That's fine. We need differences as well as sameness. But the point is, how do we listen to each other? Um, how do we hold out a hand? Not to help others because they're deficient and we have all the all the truth, but together. You know, so we do have teachers and students. But as a teacher, I'm always learning from all of you. So uh, we teachers need to continue. We we'll, this is a, this is a lifelong learning. <laughs> this is a lifelong practice. This is lifelong study. Uh, so yeah, and and it is warm hand to warm hand. It's personal. So we are very fortunate that we finally you know we've we've all been uh, uh, damaged in some way by the pandemic. I just, well, maybe I shouldn't speak for everyone, but it was a traumatic event in our society, in our life, in our world. And for our Sangha, we lost our wonderful uh, uh, storefront Zendo at, at, on Irving Park Road. And for a while, we were in this uh, Zendo up on the way up on the third floor of, of this uh, of the Ebenezer Church. Now, uh, some of you are hearing this uh, from our new Ancient Dragons and Gate Zendo. And it's wonderful to practice in person. And it's also wonderful that we have this Zoom tool so that people from uh, Michigan and New Mexico and Indiana uh, are, I can, those are people I can see on this on this Zoom now, can join us. So we have both. This, this So there's that's a, a kind of benefit we've had from this pandemic, but it's it's complicated. And to actually practice together and sit together in person is wonderful. So for any of you who can come to um, Lincoln Square sometime and join us in our Zendo, um, please do. And we're also looking for, you know, we're in the process of looking, searching for a building for a long-term temple in Chicago. Uh, so um, where we can practice together, warm body to warm body, but even across Zoom, for some of us, some people are allergic to Zoom, and I respect that, and I've heard that, and I understand that. Some of us can appreciate that I can see Nathan in Michigan and and Nicholas in Indiana and Mark in New Mexico. And anyway, here we all are. So this is about welcoming each other, listening to each other, um, appreciating each other. So thank you for the question. And we're a little bit over time, but I, I, I want to, you know, if anybody else has something to say, some questions, some response, some perspective, whether you're in at Lincoln Square or on Zoom, please. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Who is this? Asian. Hi, Asian. Despite the mask. I can hear you. Oh, you can? 
Yeah, can everybody else on Zoom hear Asian? Um, yes, I, yes, yes. I wanted to respond, um, I think, partly to what Jan was saying um, specifically, but maybe this is more general as well. I see the lives of all creatures as being run by anxiety. And, you know, at the, at the very basic level, it's like kill or be killed. And as people, we, we also have that, that anxiety that's with us. And um, our practice, I think, specifically, we, we all have strategies. I mean, all, all creatures to, to come up with strategies to cope with that anxiety, whether it's, um, you know, to develop relationships with others and trust them or to whether it's to dominate, um, whether it's to submit, it's, it's a, a lot about coping with anxiety. And I think our practice gives us a way to live our lives moving beyond anxiety. That when we cultivate things like our ability to recognize that everything is, is, you know, non, non-duality or, or oneness, when we um, practice awareness of impermanence and acceptance of impermanence, and when we sit with whatever, you know, physical or mental states are arising through over time and learn to, you know, kind of figure out practice acceptance and relaxation in that, in that situation, I think it that's part of what naturally helps us to all of those things are part of what naturally helps us to be able to reach out to others from a from a helpful space because we we lose lose some of our fear and suspicion of others as as being you know some others um, we accept our own you know impermanence and 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 recognize that we're you know while we are impermanent in this body we're still part of everything. And, and I think our practice goes a long way towards helping us to um, move past that. And I think that that's true for for what was Jan was saying. I think that's true for animals as well. I, I live with a cat who was feral when we got her um, 11 years ago. And over time, I've just watched her, you know, learn or forget to be anxious in situations. And I think that's a lot of what we do with our practices. We we sit with things and they don't make us anxious anymore. We forget to be anxious in that situation. And it and it helps us to open our hearts and minds toward the world. So if you can, you know, find a way to bring Zen practice to your uh, preachers, that might help them. Um, but but I but I think that that that's kind of you know I'm a psychologist, so I see things yeah. in psychological ways. But I I think that anxiety has a lot to do and and loosening that. Um, has, has a lot to do with how we are in the world. Yes, thank you. And and to talk about anxiety is one way to talk about how we feel separation, how we feel um, differences. Yeah, I, everything you were saying about how anxiety is a way of talking about that is part of what Hongzhi is addressing here. Uh, in the world of differences, yes, we have fight or flight. We have uh, do unto others before they do unto us. We have, you know, all of this anxiety about 
being being uh, verbed by subjects out there and so forth. That's the world of particulars. And yes, our practice, practice of zazen, not just formal sitting zazen, but you know the how that permeates into all of our lives, the whole of our lives, this sense of wholeness that's, that's available in zazen as we settle and we find some serenity and illumination and calmness um, informs how we deal with anxiety in ourselves and others. So yes, that's, that's a, a useful way of for us to uh, talk about this. And then the practice is... Uh, harmonizing that sense of difference and differentiation and and harm that comes from that. And uh, with this sense that we all get in some way from Zazen, there's some, we don't, may not recognize it. And, and in the statement from Buddha, he's concerned with beings recognizing, realizing this. And the more, the longer we sit, uh, it sort of, permeates our uh, body of faith, as Dylan was calling it. So, yes, um, how, how, yeah, this is part of the process. So it's not that, uh, it's not that we reach some ultimate uh, illumination and then we're finished with anxiety. It's actually the process of bringing together our sense of wholeness with the reality that you're describing very well, Ishan, of, of uh, anxiety and, and uh, fear and, you know, uh, flight or fight and, and so forth. How do we uh, harmonize that, see that they're both part of reality? First, we have to have a glimpse of wholeness, a glimpse of sameness, a glimpse of the universal or the ultimate. And I believe firmly that uh, Zazen offers that. It's available. And, and, and what this teaching from Hongshu is saying is that it's here from the very beginning. All of us have that, are that. But we don't realize it because we're caught up in all the anxiety of difference. So what Hongshu is asking us to do is to truly enact this reality, not the reality of oneness or sameness, but the reality of this harmonizing. And this is a lifelong process. So thank you, Aishin, for helping to uh, define some of this. And it really is time for me to stop, but I'm tempted to... to, uh, uh, Nyozan, did you want to say something? No. Okay. Um, Excuse me, I, I have to depart. I'm sorry. Okay, take care. See you, and see you uh, tomorrow evening. Tomorrow. Yes, good. Okay. Um, so, um, did Ruben? Did you want to say something, or are you just waving goodbye? <laughs> okay. So, um, David Ray, if you would, um, uh, we will ha- have our bodhis- closing bodhisattva vow chant, and then announcements, and then we will ha- do the do the serve have service for the harmonizing of difference and sameness.